Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Islanders Award Winners podcast examining the seasons in which a New York Islander took home a major NHL award. I'm your host, Dan Saracini. In our next two episodes, we'll look at Mike Bossy's record-setting rookie season that netted him the Calder Trophy in 1978. Lighthouse Hockey is SB Nation's home for New York Islanders news and discussion. You can find all of our podcasts, including our flagship show Islanders Anxiety and Weird Islanders the Podcast, by searching Islanders Anxiety in any podcasting app of your choice. At patreon.com slash islandersanxiety, you can subscribe monthly to receive ad-free episodes, bonus podcasts, and more. And as always, thank you for listening. And now, on to Mike Bossy, Calder Trophy, 1978, Part 1. I never like saying this because it sounds funny, but I never really worked that hard at hockey. I always played it for fun, still wanting to make a career out of it, but just sort of going out and doing my thing. I'm kind of ashamed because I see so many guys working hard, like on skating or shooting, and it seems strange because I just went out and played hockey, and I made it. Mike Bossy, January 1978. Rookies aren't supposed to do what Mike Bossy did just 20 years old when he first suited up for the New York Islanders, Bossy rewrote the NHL record book, obliterating marks en route to an easy Rookie of the Year win. But all was not what it seemed. While outwardly exuding supreme confidence, Bossy inwardly worried about getting sent to the minors, getting jumped by hockey's most horrifying goons, and not rising to his own lofty standards. While his first season as a pro ended in a massive disappointment for his team, Bossy's performance was one for the ages and forever changed the expectations for NHL rookies for years to come. In 1987, Bossy published Boss, a memoir co-written by Barry Meisel of the New York Daily News. While mulling retirement in the face of injuries that had derailed his career at just 30 years old, Bossy took a look back at a life spent on the ice trying to prove that he was much more than just a sniper. Throughout this episode, we will hear actual passages from Boss that reflect what Bossy was feeling and thinking at the time. 
Mike Bossy's story starts on January 22nd, 1957 in Montreal. In the crib with a hockey stick in his hand at just two months old, Mike was the sixth of 10 children born to Borden and Dorothy Bossy. Mike's father, the son of Ukrainian immigrants, was determined to have a hockey player in the family. And while the six boys would play in the family's backyard rink, second youngest boy Mike was the one with the natural ability to hit the back of the net repeatedly at every level. Legend has it that he scored 23 goals in his first organized hockey game and 170 goals as a peewee. By 10 years old, Mike knew that the NHL was his destiny. When it came time to move up to Junior B travel teams, the Bossies made the family decision to move to Laval, Quebec, which would allow Mike to play for the local junior team, the Laval National, while also living at home. Right from the get-go, Bossy made an impact, winning the Junior B scoring championship at 16 with 58 goals and 64 assists in 1971-72. Bossy's ultimate goal was always to play in the NHL. He knew that he could. The only thing standing in his way was junior hockey, which in the mid-70s was basically the Wild West on ice. Slashes, cross-checks, spears, cheap shots, fights, goons, brawls, riots, cops, bikers, and general chaos were the order of the day. Even at that young age, Mike Bossy knew what was coming, and he already hated it. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League was hell. I scored 309 goals, made the All-Star team three times, led the league in goals once, and had my green and white Laval Nationals jersey number 17 retired. But that's not what I remember today. I remember the premeditated violence that frightened and sickened me. Players deliberately attempted to injure their opponents every game. Coaches regularly encouraged bench-clearing brawls. Unruly fans made every road game dangerous. Goons constantly threatened to gouge out my eyes or break my neck after I scored because, as one paper put it, stop bossy and you stop Laval. Boss, page 36. More than once, Bossy felt like quitting hockey altogether, wondering if a pro career was worth the type of abuse he endured for four years of junior hockey. By his second season in Laval, he knew he wanted out and was ready for the NHL. But he also knew that four years in junior would make him more tantalizing to NHL teams come draft time. So Bossy stuck it out. Throughout the threats and cheap shots and brawls, he took all the abuse the goons gave him and he just kept scoring. Seasons of 70, 84, 79, and 75 goals made him one of the single most dangerous players in the queue. Sadly, the Laval National were never much more than mediocre during Bossy's tenure there. Only in his final season did they finish over 500, and they never came close to winning a championship. Bossy knew his defensive play wasn't good, but also admitted that his coaches, in desperate need of goals, never taught him how to play effectively without the puck. For all of his skill, the reputation that continuously dogged Bossy, even into his NHL career, was that he was, quote, soft or chicken and that he didn't have the strength that it took to play against the biggest and baddest in hockey. In the best case scenario, teams thought he was strictly a one-dimensional offense-only player. We can look back now and comfortably say that that was complete hogwash. In our last season of Islanders Award winners, we looked at Bossy's three Lady Bing Trophy wins as the NHL's most gentlemanly player, and his lifelong crusade to eradicate cheap hits and goonery from the sport. He wanted penalties stiffened and the grotesque play that caused injuries to players like him to be removed from the game. For a more in-depth look at Bossy's junior years and feelings on hockey violence, check out that episode. One experience from his final junior season that Bossy looked back on fondly 
was a round-robin tournament he got to play in against all-star players from the other two Canadian Junior Leagues and young players from the Soviet Union. Without the brutes on the ice, Bossy looked like a true star. He scored five goals in six games and played well in all three zones. Though the QMJHL came in second in the tournament, Bossy used the games to prove he was more than just a goal scorer, and the NHL scouts noticed. But one bird dog didn't need a short series to convince him that Mike Bossy was what his team needed. Henry Saraceno was with the Islanders from the beginning. A minor league player who never made the NHL level, Saraceno was introduced by a journalist friend to Bill Torrey while Torrey was the general manager of the California Golden Seals. Torrey was looking for a Quebec-based scout, and Saraceno fit the bill. When Torrey left Oakland to run the expansion Islanders, one of his first hires was Saraceno, who guided the team to draft Andre St. Laurent, a center and early regular, out of the Montreal Junior Canadiens organization. When he wasn't scouting, Saraceno also did some youth coaching, and one of the kids he coached was a young Mike Bossy. Saraceno liked to tell the story about a 12-year-old Bossy scoring a goal while flat on his back. Quote, he got a piece of it, got it to the top of the net, and hit the pipe near the corner. And then, you wouldn't believe it, it fell in. Saraceno was behind the bench for those 170 goals Bossy scored as a peewee. By the time Bossy was in Laval lighting up the queue, Saraceno was a regular at their games and was convinced that the kid was just what the Islanders needed. He even told a local French paper in January of 1977 that the Islanders were committed to taking Bossy in the draft, a very unusual tactic then and now. Saraceno's only obstacle was convincing his colleagues in the Islanders' brain trust that he was right. With the 15th pick in the 1977 draft, the Islanders had to do a lot of waiting. One by one, players were selected, none of whom were Mike Bossy, who still had the reputation of being a one-way, offense-only, soft player. The Rangers and Maple Leafs each had two selections in that top 15 and chose to take other players instead. The Rangers selected Lucien Deblois and Ron Duguay at 8 and 13 respectively, and the Leafs took Toronto Marley's John Anderson and Trevor Johansson back-to-back at 11 and 12. When it came time for the Islanders to make their pick, they couldn't believe Bossy was still available. Coach Al Arbor would say later that, quote, every time a team didn't take Bossy, Henry would get more excited. Still, never in our wildest dreams did we think we'd get him. By the time the Islanders were on the clock, Arbor would say that, quote, Henry was doing a jig he was so happy. But the choice was not a unanimous one. The Islanders' two options were down to Dwight Foster, a winger who led the Ontario Hockey League in scoring with 60 goals and 143 points in his draft year, and Bossy. Torrey and Arbor listened to the scouts make their cases. While Ontario scout Harry Boyd, Western scout Tex Amon, and assistant general manager Jim Devolano debated the merits of both players, Saraceno was adamant. The pick had to be Bossy, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. Torrey called a timeout on the draft clock and polled his guys again, with Saraceno growing more and more insistent. At some point, Arbor said the immortal words that broke the tie and would come to be a major part of the bossy legend, telling Tory, quote, if you draft him, I'll teach him defense. And so Tory made the pick. It would be bossy. And Henry Saraceno would never, ever forget that moment. The two would be inextricably linked together in Islanders lore forever. Saraceno passed away in 1979 of a heart attack 
before he got a chance to see Mike Bossy and the Islanders lift the Stanley Cup. But his son Mario and grandson Jason would both also work as scouts for the Islanders, with the former now in his fourth decade with the team. Bossy would thank Henry Saraceno at his number retirement ceremony in 1991, knowing full well that without the scouts' years-long conviction, his career would not have been the same. Torrey would reveal that he had attempted to move up in the draft in order to take Bossy before anyone else could. Fortunately for the Islanders, the prejudices shown against Bossy's game dropped him right into their hands, and Torrey didn't have to give up any assets at all. After the draft, the Islanders' brass retired to Torrey's house for a party to celebrate the snagging of their man. While the team, mainly thanks to Saraceno, knew what Bossy was, they turned to a contemporary NHL star to describe the kid in terms the media and fans could understand. Guy Lafleur was arguably the biggest deal in hockey in 1977, having broken out for three 50-goal seasons and leading the Montreal Canadiens to back-to-back Stanley Cups. Lafleur's name transcended hockey even then, and Bossy was immediately billed as his successor. Newsday touted the kid's junior numbers of 309 goals, it's just a few less than Lafleur's QMJHL record, and quoted Tori as saying that while Bossy's skating wasn't as good as Lafleur's, he was still, quote, a home run type. But before he could play for them, the Islanders had to sign Bossy to a contract, and another team in another league was making that more difficult than they would have liked. The Quebec Nordiques of the World Hockey Association made no secret of their desire to sign Bossy play for them. Bossy's uncle Leo, who had played in Montreal against Bill Torrey as a junior, even went to Mike's parents with a plan to get their son signed to the Nords. But Mike wanted more, both from his career and his representation. He soon signed with a budding young agent named Pierre Lacroix, the same Pierre Lacroix that would go on to be the general manager of the Nordiques and the Colorado Avalanche a few decades later. In his younger days, Lacroix had been a junior coach and a marketing-slash-PR man for Laval when he started dabbling in player representation, starting with goalie Bob Sauvé. After asking his teammate about his services, Bossy also signed with Lacroix, who would be the point man for the negotiations. Lacroix advised his young client to act with confidence when introducing himself to Bill Torrey. If Torrey asked how many goals Bossy thought he could score that season, Lacroix told Bossy to say 50. The kid didn't actually believe that number, but he trusted his agent. So that's what he did. Wearing a white suit at the Chateau Champlain Hotel in Montreal, Bossy said to Tory, quote, If I play regularly, I'm going to score a lot of goals for you, Bill. When Tory asked how many, Bossy immediately replied, 50. Tory simply laughed softly and left the meeting with his latest draft pick knowing he was supremely confident in himself. But reality soon took hold. Bossy felt heartbroken by the Islanders' initial low-ball contract offer of three years at $160,000 U.S., with only $72,000 guaranteed. Weeks went by with little movement by either side, which made Bossy increasingly nervous. He knew that the WHA was offering much larger contracts to players his age, and he wanted to be paid commensurate with his talent level. And if he was going to sign with any WHA team, it would be the Quebec Nordiques. Sure enough, in mid-July 1977, Pierre Lacroix got a phone call from Nordique's general manager, Maurice Fillion. Word was out that Bossy hadn't been signed yet, and Fillion had gotten permission from the team's owners to make an offer. 
and it was a good one. Three years, $300,000 Canadian, and a $75,000 signing bonus, all guaranteed, as was a roster spot on the Nordiques. Filion gave Bossy and his camp 48 hours to make their decision. Lacroix called Bill Torrey for a meeting the next day and told him of Quebec's offer. Bossy was ready to accept it unless the Islanders came up to that level and with an escalating pay structure and a host of bonus payouts for games played and goals scored. Bossy described Torrey as looking shocked, which he no doubt was. A tense day passed as Torrey tried to track down Islanders owner Roy Bowe, who had been unreachable. Torrey furiously asked for an extension, but only got until midnight. Finally, at 11.30 p.m., while Bossy and his team played ping pong at their office, Torrey called back and accepted their demands. It was then up to Bossy to decide if he wanted to be a New York Islander or a Quebec Nordique. At 11.45 that night, they called Torrey back and said that Mike would be coming to Long Island. I went outside for a walk by myself. I thought about the money the WHA's watered-down talent and second-rate status. I thought about how I had dreamed of playing in the NHL, of the Stanley Cup. What kind of tradition did the Avco Cup have? I wanted to prove the scouts wrong by becoming an all-around great pro, a complete player. If I had done that in the vastly inferior WHA, the skeptics would still raise doubts. I had to play against the best in the NHL. Boss, page 66. One final demand was to have the contract drawn up by noon the next day. Somehow, the Islanders came through with PR man Hawley Chester arriving at Montreal with the contract and Bossy's signing bonus. Bossy had a reason to finalize the contract so quickly. He was getting married to his fiancée Lucy the next day and flying off to his honeymoon the day after. The pair met when they were both teens and she worked at the snack bar at the rink where he played his junior B hockey. They were married in a small ceremony and took off for the Bahamas but cut the trip short when they missed their friends back in Quebec. Lucy would be a guiding light in Bossy's career, and family would play a major part in his life. Mike never wanted to stray too far from the people closest to him, either physically or emotionally. Lucy, whose primary language at the time was French, would move with Mike to Long Island, and the young couple would become fast friends with Mike's line mate Brian Trottier and his wife Nikki, making the transition that much easier. At a press conference on August 8th at Gallagher's Steakhouse in Manhattan, Islanders owner Roy Bowe made his hopes clear, saying to Bossy, quote, I hope you're going to score 75 goals for us. Afterwards, Bossy was given a tour of Nassau Coliseum. It looked impressive to the young player, nearly as impressive as the white Buick LeSabre with light blue velour interior he bought with his first signing bonus. On September 11th, 1977, Bossy packed that Buick with his stuff, tearfully left Lucy behind, and drove, with Henry Saracino, to Long Island for rookie camp. At first, Bossy was genuinely worried that he would get sent down to the minors if he didn't perform. Three days into camp, he had bigger concerns. A bruised shoulder that aggravated an existing bone spur injury kept him on the trainer's table, and he feared that he would be seen as, quote, damaged goods by his new teammates. Camp was a tough one, and with a lot of new faces, including Bossy, import goalie Goran Hagosta, Long Island native Richie Hansen, center Mike Kazicki, Swedish defenseman Stefan Pearson, and stay-at-home D-man Bob Lorimer among the rookies. With his junior number 17 already taken by Jude Druan, Bossy needed a new one, 
His birthday is January 22nd, so he chose number 22. I spoke confidently the whole summer about breaking into the NHL, but deep down, I was just another scared stiff rookie. I didn't know if I'd be good enough to make the team. What if my weak defense convinced them to start me in the minors? I didn't know what to expect. Boss, pages 71 to 72. Bossy kept quiet, even around his fellow rookies, who he knew were sizing him up. When the veterans rolled in, things amped up, and Bossy's life changed forever. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On day two of camp, while he was sitting on the trainer's table with ice on his shoulder and a bruised eye thanks to an errant puck in the face, Bossy was approached by young center Brian Trotty. Bossy had watched him in the previous year's playoff series against the Canadians, staring in awe at the player he called, quote, that little shit disturber. Trotte introduced himself and invited his young teammate to dinner at his house. Eventually, Bossy would move out of his room at the Pickwick Motor Inn and into Trottier's guest room. Their friendship and on-ice partnership would be forged during this first camp. After a few preseason games, Bossy and Trottier would be put on a line with burly left winger and soon-to-be new team captain, Clarkie Gillies. From the moment they stepped on the ice together, which led to a rush up the ice and a scoring chance, the trio was dynamite. Bossy had been bothering Al Arbor all through camp, desperately wanting to improve his defensive game and give the coach what he wanted. Bossy called himself, quote, a terrific pain in the ass. After a few days, Arbor finally responded, telling Bossy, quote, Mike, shut up. Just play like you did in junior, and if you do something wrong, I'll tell you. That was one thing Bossy wanted to hear from his coach. 
The other was, quote, yeah, go get a place. Bossy was so scared of getting sent to the Islanders CHL affiliate in Fort Worth, Texas, that he would stare at the ceiling and lose sleep. Once he got the go-ahead, Lucy flew to New York and the newlyweds stayed with the Trottiers until they found their own place. From his perspective, Arbor saw in Bossy a player with a rare set of skills, even if he looked like a skinny, frail kid with a bum shoulder. Quote, Mike was very raw, but he showed the things he could do that others couldn't. He had that quick release and those great wrists. His shot was already the best on the team. Of course, Mike wanted to learn everything in two days. After the first week, he was getting frustrated that there was so much to learn, and he hadn't done it already. We told him to take it one step at a time, and then he started to catch fire. The Islanders finished their preseason 3-4-3, with Arbor calling his team, quote, listless. Newspaper stories at the time focused on other hopefuls like Bob Sunderland and Alex McHenry, and the competition in goal between Billy Smith, Chico Resch, and Goran Hagosta, rather than the team's vaunted first-round pick. Previews of the season mentioned Bossy's presence, but with understandable doubts that he was the sniper that the Islanders needed. Even the Islanders' PR staff wasn't sure what he was, listing him in the media guide as, quote, Michel Bossy. It would be weeks into the season before Bossy finally spoke up for himself, telling Holly Chester that his name was, quote, spelled Michael, too. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Chester told Bossy, quote, I'll fix it tomorrow. He had a goal and a 5-1 preseason win over the Rangers and withstood the roster cuts made immediately afterward. Bossy might not have lit up the exhibition season with goals, but the chemistry with his line was evident. While Bossy lined up with Trottier and Gillies, the Islanders' previous number one winger, Billy Harris, played with veterans J.P. Parisi and Jude Drouin. Rookie Mike Kaziki made the team too and skated with Bob's Bourne and Nystrom. Arbor said, quote, All along, we projected Mike on right wing with Brian and Clark. You never really know how a line will fit together, but we thought the elements were there. The coach was right. On October 13, 1977, the three combined for the first goal of the Islanders' season halfway through the first period of a 3-2 loss in Buffalo. Bell, out comes on Edwards, hands it right to Gilly. The rookie gets his first National Hockey League goal as Don Edwards coughed up the puck. He has the feel right at home getting that goal. Let's take another look if we might because it's the man's first NHL goal. Bossy did a little running man dance after scoring his first NHL goal, very similar to the one he would immortalize several years later, and grabbed the puck as a keepsake. Although a couple of defensive miscues would cost the Islanders the game, Arbor praised all of his rookie, including Bossy, Kaziki and Pearson. Bossy even got some power play time, which he said was flattering. Bossy scored again in the Islanders' next game, a 3-1 win over the Bruins in their home opener at Nassau Coliseum. After the game, he didn't dwell on the score, but instead lamented his missed chances, saying, quote, That's when I think to myself, aren't you supposed to be a natural scorer? Newsday's game story buried both Bossy's goals and his non-goals, instead focusing on the play of goalie Billy Smith, who stymied Boston on the day he signed a six-year contract extension. With two assists and a loss to the Rangers, Bossy had four points in his first three NHL games. He had zero points in a tie with the Kings two nights later, but no one else did either. Goalies Rogi Vashan and Chico Resch dueled to a 0-0 deadlock, the Islanders' first ever scoreless game. King star Vashan turned away 41 Islanders' shots, six just from Bossy, 
swore after the game that he probably had even more. But something else he said after the game didn't sit well with others. That's when I angered some players on my team and in other cities by saying it was easier to play here than in junior. I meant that it was easier to play with a center like Trottier, with teammates like Gillies, Nystrom, and Howitt, who allowed me to play games without fear, without worrying about getting my head beat in every night. I meant that the NHL is more skilled and civilized. I wasn't misquoted. I was misinterpreted. Boss, page 76. That quote would come back to bite Bossy in a game in Detroit months later. But first, he had a goal and a 3-3 tie in Atlanta, then seven points in three games, a goal each in wins over the Canucks and Sabres, and then a goal and four assists in a 9-0 extinguishing of the Flames at Nassau Coliseum. Three of Bossy's assists in that game were on goals by Brian Trottier, who scored four times. Both players had five points, tying a team record. More importantly, the Islanders were unbeaten in seven games and were in first place in the Patrick Division as the calendar flipped to November. The streak was snapped in a 3-2 loss in Minnesota the next night. No big deal, right? Not if you're Al Arbor, who was furious that his team only showed up for the last 10 minutes of the game and was thoroughly outplayed by the North Stars. Quote, We blew it. I should have left half a dozen guys back in New York for all the good they did out there. Sure, I'm mad. Throwing away points like this? If they don't realize it now, they soon will. I'm getting pretty teed off. Bossy picked up his seventh goal of the young season in a 4-3 win over the Penguins. With 15 points in 12 games, he was not only in front of all NHL rookies, but among the league's leading scorers. Strangely, Bossy and the Islanders had managed to score goals without much of a power play. They were 1-for-32 with the man advantage on the season, going into a game against Boston on November 6th. They scored two power play goals against the Bruins, but lost 5-3. Still, Bossy, Trottier, and Gillies were a force piling up 32 points between them in their last five games. Bossy scored another power play goal in the next game, his first appearance against the Canadians, which was another Islanders loss. Despite some early success, it was pretty obvious that the Islanders locker room was getting filled with alpha dogs and separate factions. The Western Canada guys had opinions about the French-Canadian guys, and vice versa. A vote for a new captain basically got Ed Westfall to relinquish the sea and a reluctant Clark Gillies to take up the mantle. And Bossy, the new hotness, learned that not everyone was as easy to play with as the humble Trottier. Star defenseman Dennis Potvin, for instance, was an entirely different kind of athlete. I was leery of Potvin when I arrived in New York. I had heard that he wasn't very popular on the team. I remembered how in 1976, Denny was annoyed that he lost the Team Canada MVP award to Bobby Orr, and how he said that publicly and it angered a lot of people. That was all I could remember when I first met him. He intimidated me because he didn't look or talk like a hockey player. He sounded like a businessman. I was envious that whole first year of how well he spoke and conducted himself with the press and public. I also learned that Denny thinks very highly of himself. It angered a lot of people that he was so confident and unafraid to show it, but I never had a problem with that. Whenever I saw how he handled himself, I just chuckled and told myself, that's Denny. Boss, pages 80 to 81. You can hear more about the Team Canada incident in our episode on Potvin's first Norris Trophy win in 1976 from last season. After a tie in Philly, the Islanders went on another unbeaten streak led by Bossy, who tore a strip off the NHL over the next seven games. 
started with two goals and a 6-0 whitewashing of Washington, which put Bossy into sixth place on the NHL's scoring leaderboard with 11 goals and 9 assists in 16 games. He scored again two nights later in a 1-1 tie versus Chicago and was finally settling into his role on the team. Quote, I was hoping for something like this. I just didn't want to say it. I wanted to be one of the guys. I didn't want to offend him. Even the coach, who vowed to teach the alleged one-way player how to check, was impressed by the kid. Quote, I never saw Bossy play junior hockey. I had faith in our scouting reports. Even though he is a natural goal scorer, what pleases me is his defensive work. He makes the plays in our end as well as getting up there to get the puck for Trottier and Gillies. He's a great scorer because he's in the right position, but he also has very quick hands. He's deceiving. Arbor would later describe Bossy's release as being, quote, like a highlight player. He just scoops it and it's gone. Bossy used those quick hands to score twice in a roller coaster 4 4 tie with the Flyers. Two nights later, the Islanders destroyed the Canucks 9 2, with Bossy and Gillies and Bob Bourne all collecting two goals apiece and Trottier finishing with a goal and four assists. Between the three of them, Bossy, Gillies, and Trottier had 84 points so far that season, by far the most of any line in the league. And the skinny 20 year old rookie now led the entire league in goals with 16. Bossy scored the game-winner with 62 seconds left in the Islanders' next game, a 4-2 win over Colorado. Despite the victory, the Islanders had fallen into a habit of starting slow and relying on third-period comebacks to secure wins or ties, even against inferior teams. In the game against the Rockies, the Nassau Coliseum crowd booed the home team while the score was still tied 1-1 halfway through the third period. Hundreds even walked out early, missing Trottier and Bossy scoring the goals that put them over the top. Winning goalie Chico Resch called the Islanders, quote, a mediocre team right now. If we don't come to the rink better prepared than we have, well, we're all going to be in trouble. They had no problems against Minnesota the day before Thanksgiving, annihilating the North Stars 9-2 at the Met Center. Bossy scored the first goal of the game as the Islanders went up 7-0 before Minnesota got a couple. But the same issues would return hard in a 5-2 loss to Pittsburgh that snapped the Islanders' seven-game point streak. Penguins scored four times in the first, and the Islanders had no comeback in them, despite two more goals from Bossy. The goals gave Bossy, only 22 games into his NHL career, two team records, goals in seven straight games, and points in 11. It didn't take long for the line of Bossy, Trotty, and Gillies to get a fun moniker to be used by writers and fans. They were dubbed the Trio Grande, aka the Big Three, which is a cool and cogent name even if there wasn't a ton of thought put into it. In a long profile of the line in Sports Illustrated, writer Jerry Kirschenbaum tried to describe Bossy's mutant scoring powers by saying, quote, Bossy has the knack for getting open, and his wrist shot, while not particularly hard, is quick, well-disguised, and accurate. It's a godsend power, he says. Three-fourths of the time, I don't even see where I'm shooting. And Trottier understood that the kid could make him even better. Quote, Mike helps me as much as I help him. Because the other team has to concentrate on him, I've got more room to roam this season. Bossy had 17 goals in his last 15 games and 20 on the season. Trottier had 14 goals and 18 assists, and Gillies had 7 goals and 15 assists in his last 14 games. Numbers like that were sure to make even Al Arbor crack a smile. Quote, The three of them sense each other's moves well, and though I must admit I'm surprised at how many goals they're scoring, 
That's not what makes me the happiest. The best thing about that line is how they can go both ways equally, forechecking and backchecking, as well as score points. But there were still growing pains. A shot attempt at an empty net by Billy Smith turned into a turnover and a late goal against, and the Islanders had to settle for a 3-3 tie with the Colorado Rockies. Bossy had been on the ice at the time, and although he didn't necessarily do anything wrong, he wouldn't see another empty net situation again for the rest of the season. The gaff stuck with him, but as a rookie, he knew not to argue with Arbor about his strategy. Bossy knew his checking game had improved since junior because back then, no coaches ever actually asked him or instructed him on how to play responsible defense. He couldn't help that it was perceived as his big weakness, and the criticisms he heard all the time from when he was a kid were never far from his mind. Bossy constantly battled the implication that he was only a goal scorer and worked very hard, perhaps for the first time in his hockey life, to have a complete set of skills. Islanders defenseman Jerry Hart would be quoted a few months later saying of Bossy, quote, He accepted all the criticisms and swallowed it very graciously. And you didn't have to tell him twice either. He made mistakes, but he didn't make them over and over. In order for him to be accepted, he had to show that he could be a two-way hockey player if we needed him to be. It had been so far so great for Mike Bossy's rookie season, but a single road game would be the first major bump in his NHL journey and would make him question his talents and his entire future. Detroit, November 27th, 1977. Bossy unknowingly becomes the spark that ignites a game-opening brawl. Bossy's misunderstood comments from earlier in the season about the NHL being easier to play in than junior hockey had rankled some of the tougher Red Wings, and right from the initial face-off, they made their feelings known. Dan Maloney grabbed Bossy by the jersey and, quote, started swinging me around like a ragdoll. Gillies, Bossy's main protector, had his hands full with goon Dennis Polanich, a known stick-wielder with the nickname of Dirty Dennis. In an instant... Bossy's junior fears came flooding back into his mind. He was stunned by Maloney's attack, which took him by surprise. To that point, Bossy hadn't encountered an NHL team that wanted to inflict pain on him, and it scared him. He recounted the incident in Boss as one of the defining moments of his indoctrination into the NHL. It was the first time an NHL team tried to intimidate me. You know what? It worked. I spent the rest of the game looking over my shoulder, listening for footsteps staying away from a late hit. Once Maloney attacked me, I just had it in the back of my mind that it was going to happen again later in the game. Boss, page 76. In part two of this episode, we'll start from this incident and examine the rest of Bossy's rookie season, from his record-setting goal totals, to his friendship with Trottier, to an even scarier series of games in which Bossy and the Islanders felt full brunt of the NHL's most violent tendencies. Please join us then. Islanders Award Winners is written, produced, and edited by Dan Saracini. This episode's special guest star is Michael Paul Smith, narrating excerpts from Boss, the Mike Bossy story. Listen to Michael's podcast, Ted and Michael Read Sketches into Microphones, wherever you find your podcasts, or directly from their website at tedandmichael.com. Follow Michael on Twitter and Instagram at mpsmithnyc. Special thanks to Kevin Schultz. Visit Kevin's shop at VintageIceHockey.com, where you can get t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring over 100 classic hockey logos. VintageIceHockey.com also has our Al Arbor t-shirt, and our portion of the sales go directly to the Center for Dementia Research. 
Be sure to visit lighthousehockey.com every day and subscribe to Islanders Anxiety Podcasts. Sign up at patreon.com slash islandersanxiety for even more. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Islanders Anxiety Podcasts are part of the Fans First Sports Network. To learn more, log on to fansfirstsports.com.